Non, c'est ce que je disais. Vous le voyez, s'évader, c'est de la blague. Après tout, tout est beau. Il n'y a qu'à s'intéresser aux choses et les trouver belles. Time has come. Catherine Bigelow. This and some of the other nice things that have happened to me in the last couple of days may turn me into some sort of hopeful optimist and ruin my whole life. Spoil? <laughs> Did he spoil me? I remember quite clearly, it was 1946 and I was four years old, my mother took me to see King Vidor's Duel in the Sun. Al film italiano Deserto Rosso di Michelangelo. Michelangelo Antonioni. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being, God damn it! My life has value! It's just that all men are sure it never happened to them and most women at one time or another have done it, so you do that. Three artists. In the presentation of the Palm Door. Adele, Leia, and Abdel, Abdel, Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 37 of the Film Autumn Podcast. Today, we're going to be getting a little controversial, and we're going to be Picking some uncensored material. The list of films is going to be uh, quite uh, sick and depraved. <laughs> so I'm joined by Jonathan today. Hi, hey Jonathan. Everyone. Uh, also joined by the forever controversial Rob. <laughs> Hi there. Last but not least, uh, Robin. Hello, everybody. We'll make one of us a loving cup, a loving cup. And um, why have we decided to do this, Robin? Well, I think a while ago we wanted to think about our audience and what reach out to, you know, not a sick audience, but, you know, audience, people that like perhaps, you know, these, these films from the 70s that were controversial and still are now, mm. or these band films. So we thought, well, let's do a series on it. We accept one of us. We accept one of us. Let's do a podcast and let's, like, launch it officially, mm. but let's get it out there so, so listeners can sort of get an idea. Of you know how sick we really are. I mean how um, diverse we are. <laughs> but I think I yes, know. it's quite undefinable as well. Gobble, gobble, gobble. We accept her. We accept her. Gobble, 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 gobble. Do we talk about violence? Is it about you know mm. exploitation films, banned films, films that mm. don't fit in today's? You know, it could be anything. But also I think us allowing ourselves to be uncensored and discuss whatever we like. Yeah, you know, within reason, obviously. When we put about the term uncensored, we think more about violence or, or sexual violence or, you know. But uh, for me, the picks that I've chosen, I've gone for a more political sort of, I guess the best term is, you know, polit- politically incorrect yeah. type of film. And but the films that I am discussing have significance in terms of technical aspects of, of filmmaking. So I'm trying to see them in a broader way of these films that we should be watching and we should be discussing, even though they don't agree with the politics that you know of today's culture. I think I'm going to hear some very interesting takes from you guys and and your picks and why you've chosen them so who wants to go first <laughs> it's really uh, really the, the biggest I'll question yeah jonathan what's right, what so, have you chosen oh well uh the first movie i have chosen that kind of talks about i feel what just 
an example of uncensored or controversial cinema is actually the Wayback Machine of night of the nineteen forties. The movie is called Song of the South. This is the first, Walt Disney's first live action live action film with a dramatic narrative. Uh, Walt Disney had originally really wanted to use the uh, the uh, tales of Uncle. Uncle Remus and bring it to life as a as a as a live action narrative. One of the original writers was brought on to write the script, originally because that person had a kind of a very negative take on Southern antebellum and where the country was post uh, Reconstruction. That lasted for about seven weeks until Disney decided to just pull the plug on the guy and go. And write their own movie. Originally, Walt Disney didn't want didn't want to gave him the freedom to write what he felt about the script because I guess he t- he took it as a challenge because he didn't totally responsible for him to actually talk about the stuff in the film. And if you've seen it, yeah, there's definitely a lot of truth in that. So it's the story of a boy who go who goes down uh, ants or uncle's farm, and then he meets. Uncle Remus, and he tells him stories about his life. And those stories are are they, when they start to blend the live action material with animation. Yeah. Mm. And for its time, it's very impressive how they were able to, with the limited technology that they had, shoot a live action film, but still also have a few cartoon segments thrown in. Mm, kind of like Mary Poppins. Yes. Yes. Of- the movie itself has yet to be fully remastered or even have proper home video release because you know over time they realized yeah this is this this is actually quite offensive and this is just something that the African American community would probably be in uproar over and, and I guess I would say rightfully so it's funny how you say it, watched... over time as well it's like it took them such, yeah. a, such a long time it, to realize. Yeah, it, it, yeah, I mean, there have been segments of the film that they have been able to package for on home video. And that's how they've gotten parts of the movie out that way. And the song, the it's mostly just the cartoon segments, but the most famous one being, you know, zippity doodah, zippity day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I remember seeing that. You know, here I know that song. But I've never really, I didn't realize as a child that that belonged to, to that film. Oh, yes. Uh, and it, it, it's strange how that's the only sort of, you know, I've seen, seen that song, I've seen, and it looks like a really happy film. Oh, but obviously... Well, it, it, it is a happy film originally. It, it, intentionally, it's supposed to be this glorious. It, you, you've seen Gone with the Wind, right? Yeah. Yes. It's supposed to be kind of like that. It's supposed to celebrate the antebellum South and show where the country was post-reconstruction. I feel it kind of whitewashes the South. It just it, it doesn't really talk about you know Jim Crow and the fact that African Americans were still were being lynched and being harassed and had did not have their, did not have civil rights and were basically treated like shit by the white man down there. Also, just the uh, shock and jive of Uncle Remus, it just it, it just makes me cringe. Mm-hmm. And and in your opinion, Jonathan, do you feel like 
the whole film should be re-released. Yes. In it, you do. And Actually, um, yes, and, 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 as, as much as I, I find it very cringeworthy, it, it is significant for the comp for Disney because it they actually did a live action narrative and as kind of repulsive as some as the material is I feel that this still carries their their banner name it's still it's still an important part of film history Rob what's your first pick on on your list of uncensored material I think I'm going to start with The Last Temptation of Christ, uh, which was a 1988 film uh, directed by Martin Scorsese uh, that really was a passion project of his since he was a, uh, since he was a kid. He's always wanted to make a story about Jesus Christ. And this is a movie that I've always, you know, as a lover of Martin Scorsese, my pretty much my whole life as a as a film watcher. It, you know, it's it's weird. It's it's almost a deviation for him from his other work, and it's a lot it has a lot more in common with something like Silence because it's really a spiritual journey of this character, of and it's a much more humanistic portrayal of Jesus than all you know than most most portrayals. You know, where he's sort of God as man, it's much more him as like you know just struggling with with what he is for two hours and then. The controversy, I guess, comes from the sort of d- diverging when he's on the cross. You know, in, in this movie, it basically tells the story of the New Testament, and then it diverges, like, when he's on the cross to a potential life with Mary Magdalene and children and, li- you know, living until his old age. And, you know, we, we come to learn at the very end that it's sort of the devil tempting him by showing him, you know, these these earthly pleasures or whatever. But... You know, it's a film that, you know, I, the more I read about, the more I'm shocked about how controversial it was, how, you know, Catholics did everything they possibly could to not have it shown. I, I mean, I was reading in Britain, it, it received the most complaints of any movie shown on TV. Like, I, I was just like, what? Why? It's not, I mean, it's a creative take on, and then it's like, oh, this is like the foundational story of Western civil. Okay. I, I mean, you get it if you, mm-hmm. if you reach enough or whatever, but it's just a really good movie in my opinion. Um, and, and it got nominated, Martin Scorsese got nominated for best director and he got nominated for a Razzie. So I mean, <laughs> I just don't, I like, it's, it's something that I don't understand, like necessarily people kind of being up in arms about it. It's interesting. I mean, the apostles all speak with a like a Jewish Brooklyn accent um, <laughs> because Martin Scorsese thought that they were like you know men of the people, men of the streets. So yeah, I mean, it's just to me, it's a really like creative um, and kind of violent movie. But it's very like it seems very personal to Scorsese, and he risks so much to just to get it made. He had to make Cape Fear. Like the the studio wouldn't let him make it unless he agreed to do Cape Fear. So I mean. <laughs> I have seen um, Life of Brian, which again is <laughs> okay. uh, another film about Jesus Christ, although uh, a bit more comedic. I know that it caused a lot of controversy yeah. when it was released, um, but I don't know what it is. It kind of there's this weird thing, I guess, because for you know, still a Christian country where. They kind of get a little bit defensive if if Jesus isn't depicted as this sort of noble character. I do think that times have changed now. I mean, we have had since then the Mel Gibson movie. Oh, Mm -hmm. forgotten. Passion Passion of Christ. Christ, Yeah. Which went on to have a huge 
box office, you know, smash, wasn't it? It earned so much money uh, at the box See, office. But that's that's my problem is that something like Passion of the Christ can make a, a ton of money, which, in my opinion, is is basically a movie about sadism. <laughs> it's a movie. I mean, it's almost a movie celebrating sadism. Um, where you know the, the Last Temptation of Christ is this like personal like journey of this of this director, and people can't even see what he's trying to say because they're so offended. But it's like you're looking at this very human version. You know, he, Jesus Christ is scared. He's cowardly. He's you know he's all of these things that human beings. Yeah, are. but we do, isn't that isn't that the, wasn't that just how Jesus was taken as a character that you know uh, as more man than this divinely being. I like it. I think it's just a really sort of creative take and, and definitely something personal to Scorsese. Yeah, as well, you, Martin Scorsese grew up as a Catholic, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. was going to go into priesthood. So, yeah, I, 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 do, I do think it was a very personal film for him. And like you were saying, Rob, the fact that he had to sort of then make Cape Fear... And you can see that um, Cape, Cape Fear as well. You can see that it's a decent mm-hmm. film, but it was a kind of it looked like a film he had to make. And the, oh. the, Oscar, the Oscar nomination for for the um, Temptation of Christ, Last Temptation, was that was the only nomination the film got. So it's mm-hmm. like the Academy just didn't know what to do with that film. But they <laughs> obviously they had Mayan Scorsese's work on it, but they didn't have the balls to go for Best Picture or Best Actor or anything like that. Robin, what's your pick? My first one I'm going to choose is a film called Possession, from 1981. Yes. Uh, Isabella Ajani's in it. She won in Cannes Best Actress, and it's like one of the best. It is one of the best performances, uh, like in the history of cinema. Basically, she's married to Sam Neill. He's a, a spy, but she wants to leave him, um, divorce him, and he's, like, a bit clingy. And she sort of descends into a kind of uh, strange madness. And even now, I've seen it a few times, it's still hard to explain what that is. It's not possession-like. She's not possessed by Satan or anything like that. Mm. It's just, like, a sort of mental and physical transition. Uh, there's a weird creature in it that sort of grows in the second apartment that she gets when she leaves him, he, the husband gets a private investigator to just find out what the hell's going on because she's acting weird. She, at one point, she tries to, well, she cuts herself with an electric knife. You know those old eighties, those little, like little chainsaws. Oh, yes, for, like, when you were cutting meat or something. Yeah. So yeah. if you've seen any pictures from the film, but you'll see some pictures of her. Mm-hmm. She's got something around her neck. That's because of that. But it gets worse. Like, there's, there's blood in it. There's, there's a couple of murders. I aren't going to spoil it. Um, the famous scene is in the subway. She just kind of... She talks about she had, that she had an abortion. And we don't know if it's true or not, but we see her in the subway kind of having this meltdown. But it's, like, a complete, full, fully formed, violent episode... And she bleeds. She's like, what? There's like white stuff coming out of her. Not just a mouth everywhere. (laughs) 
and she's like throwing herself against the wall. It's you watch it and you just can't believe the actress put did put herself through it. So the director must have just said to her like, just just go for it, and she really does go for it. So it's kind of impressive, but shocking. It's a really shocking, weird film. It's a very deceiving title because people will think, oh, exorcism. It's, it's not about mm. that at all. It's just a totally different kind of possession. It made me think of maybe like the exorcist, you know, sort yeah. of your, your body being completely controlled by something evil yeah. and not being able to control your sort of actions and having something take over your whole identity. <laughs> Well, I think I'll, I'll just briefly touch on, on my first pick. Jonathan, it's kind of relating to yours in terms of uh, a very racist movie. I've gone with perhaps one of the most racist movies ever made, uh, Birth of a Nation. Mm. Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, a three-hour-long epic film, which is all about how great the, the Ku Klux Klan is. Uh, oh, that's 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 great. Yeah, uh, we can all know that that's a load of horseshit. Um, <laughs> what is interesting about this film is the fact that it, it's kind of revolutionary in terms of its narrative. This is made in 1915. Up until that point, there hadn't really been uh, films that had gone really over to reels worth a film this is a three hour film try and pitch that in 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 terms of like you know that's the same length of titanic or or, or lord of the rings and it is in that same sense of scale grandness you know the film has the first to use long shots and battle sequences you know footage shot at night parallel editing really everything that can be sort of looked at in, in terms of the, the Hollywood epic can be traced back to this one film. And that's problematic in so many ways because the film's... It's, oh, it is awful. There's so many scenes where I just... I couldn't believe what I was watching. You know, you've got white actors in blackface. Yeah, that was, Black... that was the style back then. I know. And it is ridiculous. What the hell? Uh, I know I'm looking back at it, you know, from 2018. But even at that point, I still think, you know, the Ku Klux Klan was virtually, uh, you know, the numbers had dwindled in 1915. But the film helped revive their popularity. That's how crazy it was. And this was, in terms of the first big blockbuster, I think... By um, 1922, 5 million people were estimated to have seen it in America alone. That's how crazy that this film was. You know, it it had people paying equivalent of $20 now for a Hmm. cinema ticket in order to watch it. And the depiction of of people of colour in this film is disgusting. It really was actually quite... I, I'm lost for words of how offensive it was. You know the the scenes where they depict 
you know, uh, them as rapists and as uncultured. You know, you've got them in the uh, Congress barefoot eating fried so, chicken. And it, it's just so deeply racist. And I'm thinking, why? How did this happen? And, and yeah, and I mean, this is showing, this it, 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 at the very least, it's attempting to show an actual period of time in American history. So after mm-hmm. after the Civil War was over, and, you know, when blacks were freed, um, there was, a, I mean, just, you cannot imagine what the South was like, because you had people, in the, like, that, you know, formed mobs, like the KKK, and went around and did awful things, and then you had free, you know, you had free black men who were going around doing really cra- really terrible things, because this is a time of lawlessness. I mean, this is a time of, of complete, like, we're forming like the basis uh, that like we can even live together you know what i'm saying and the south was just a was rampant in that and i, I think that trying to show that in any kind of objective way is i mean it's not i mean there's just no way and so you have this 3 hour epic of violence and and you know drama and just uh, trying to sort of capture this impossible chaotic time when like Nobody, everybody, I, I feel like there's a part of people, like, there's a percentage of people just trying to survive, and then everybody else, like, losing their minds. Look, I know that it's got some historical importance in terms of the birth of cinema, or a narrative <clears throat> film as we know it, and I do feel like we should discuss it, but at the same time, I don't know how to discuss it. We're still very sensitive as a, as a culture. I think, you know, this was made back in 1915, and, and how far have we come? And uh, you know, when Jonathan was discussing "Song of the South," made in the 40s, and I was I was baffled by how they could have done that. But then I think we haven't really came that far in terms of 2018. You know, there's still racial tension. I didn't get any entertainment value out of watching this film. Mm. I struggle to watch all of it. Just the ending is just ridiculous. There's a sequence at the end where there's a family and they're being attacked by a a bunch of black soldiers and the Ku Klux Klan are are riding on horseback towards them. And it looks... um, Visually, it looks impressive, but then you realize that this is the Ku Klux Klan that mm-hmm. are riding to rescue this family. You see, I'm, and, I'm, I'm laughing, but I'm not laughing because I'm like, yay! Uh, you know, I'm <laughs> laughing because it, it, it's just comical. It's ludicrous. Even yeah. even now, we've, we've seen everything, haven't we, in cinema and in society, mm-hmm. but even you just talking about it now, and I, I know it's seen you mean at the end, it's mm-hmm. like, this is ridiculous. Let's move on. Uh, maybe maybe we'll get better. I doubt it. Well, Jonathan, give us your second pick. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, I'm going to regret this, aren't I? Uh, okay, so... For, uh, it is the the sequel to 2009's The Human Centipede. Oh! Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, the first movie is uh, The Human Centipede. It, it is more of a psychological horror film. Well, there's a uh, there's a physical, there's a lot of physical horror in it, you know. Yes, I didn't want to go true, to the toilet after, never, you know, seeing. That, yes, but, but never, it was never just <laughs> meant. It's never. It's not just. Or it's eat, not. It's disgusting, but it's not just you know, visually. Well, visually, yes, but it's not. It, it, it's meant to provoke yeah. and shock 
in it the builds, mind. It builds it up a bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, these pe- how these characters are trying to, how do they survive? How do they escape this this hopeless predicament? Mm-hmm. And it just builds and builds and builds until you get to the shocking ending. But I'm not talking about the Human Centipede. I'm talking about its sequel, Human oh, Centipede yes. Two: Full yes. Sequence. What are you fuck are you looking at? Stop looking at my girlfriend, midget. Ian, please. Fuck you, fucking her? No way in hell. Because let me tell you, there's only one guy who fucks her. Now fuck her real good. So go home and fuck mum now, you didn't mention it all. This was made in 2011, and it and Tom Six, unlike the first movie where he was, he take he took inspiration from David Cronenberg, and from some Italian horror films and even Japanese horror films. Now Tom Six wanted to make wanted to make this sequel to up the ante. He wanted to make a movie that had more gore and shit. His his exact his exact words. <laughs> Literally. And, Yes. yes, the British Board of Film Classification basically saw a cut of the film and absolutely refused to even <laughs> classify this film. It would make it illegal to actually purchase this film or to even mm. sneak it out. It had to have two minutes and 37 seconds of stuff edited out. I, as an American, I was able to watch the uncensored full version Ooh. and, well, uh, you're not missing much. Here's the kicker. A uh, guy killing and basically a newborn being, a newborn oh, being, baby being, being uh, shot in the head and killed. Oh, oh God. God. Come on. So basically yeah. like a Serbian film, kind of like a... Well, I, I kind of understand why the director and, and, of both yeah, Tom Six actually follows me on Twitter, which is kind oh. of surreal. Yeah, um, yeah. So... Big shout out to Tom Six if he's listening. But I, I can understand what he's doing and essentially the these directors that do make these gross out films is that they're testing the lines of censorship and, and seeing how far they yes. can get away with it. Yes. I do feel like yes, these films are disgusting and horrendous and really not films that are meant to be m- enjoyed by the mass public that they're meant to be challenging and for and I think they draw in a certain crowd. I kind of do watch these films as well for the sick curiosity. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't like these particular films. I don't like the human centipede. And the human centipede too uh I had to stop watching there is one scene where you were describing Jonathan which really upset me with the the newborn baby. Anything involving children really upsets me. The human centipede is interesting because it's Martin, isn't it? The, the main character. He's obsessed with the yeah. first film, yes. isn't he? Which is yes, very sort of meta in terms yeah. of it, it. It's critiquing how individuals get obsessed with, with violent films and violent video games. And then he gives us exactly what we want and then lectures the audience for 
for basically liking this kind of thing. Mm. It, it just kind of feels like, oh, it, it just feels like a big fuck you, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like Those are my favorite I, artists, it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he just fucked with the audience, and they're like, yeah, I'm going to be contradictory. I'm going to make this thing, and then I'm going to judge you for watching it. Uh, Rob, what's your second pick? Sure. Um, my second pick is Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing from 1989. Ah. Um, it's a movie that I've only seen once, um, but it really was profound for me when I watched it last summer. What? Pino, who's your favorite basketball player? Magic Johnson. Who's your favorite movie star? Eddie Murphy. Who's your favorite rock star? Prince. You're a Prince Morris. Bruce. Prince. Bruce. Pino, all you ever talk about is nigga this and nigga that. And all your favorite people are so-called niggas. It's different. Magic, Eddie, Prince are not niggas. I mean, they're not black. I mean, let me explain myself. They're, they're not really black. I mean, I mean, they're black, but they're not really black. They're, they're more than black. It's, it's, it's different. It's different? Yeah, to me, it's, it's different. Um, so I'm from, I'm kind of from not exactly an area like <laughs> that's being portrayed in do the right thing, but very close. I'm, I'm from the Northeast in the United States. And there's just something about that, that sort of cultural divide that is a constant in, in like these Northeastern cities, New York, Philadelphia, Boston, being of Italian descent and sort of growing up in at the end of the 20th century. It's, it's just a really relevant film. I, you know, frankly, it comes up a lot on lists of, uh, controversial movies, and mm. I, I honestly don't know why. I think maybe it has to do with the ending, you know, the fact that everybody kind of is doesn't do the right thing. You know, everybody mm. kind of succumbs to their Baser frustrations instincts. and ignorance and, um, you know, you, you know, in some cases maybe hatred, but it, it's the thing, the, the mo- like the profound aspect that I took away from it, though, and why I wanted to talk about it was that it was like I felt like Spike Lee was tr- was literally trying to say that no, almost like nobody wins when we when we see each other as like less than human, like no, and and that everybody is at fault. I think that that's very relevant now, especially in the mm-hmm. United States, and thinking about Birth of a Nation, you know, and thinking about almost a hundred years later that Spike Lee is able to make a film like that. Dago Wab, Guinea, Garlic Bread, Pizza Sling, and Spaghetti Ben, and Vic Damone, Perry Como, Luciano Pavarotti, Solo Meal, Non Singer, Motherfucker. You gold teeth, gold chain wearing, fried chicken, and biscuit eating, monkey ate, baboon, big thigh, fast running, high jumping, spear chucking, 360 degree basketball dunking, titsoon, spade, mulling yarn. Take your fucking pizza, pizza, and go the fuck back to Africa. Yo! Hold up! Time out! Time out! It's a movie that really, uh, yeah, really kind of got to me when I watched it. And it's got sort of, it's got great um, pacing and tempo and everything. But yeah, it's just, I feel like it um, It really does say something profound about, about race relations in the United States. And takes place during this like sweltering hot summer day. You know, where this is like nobody, nobody wants to deal with one another, but they have to because they are, it's this like tight knit community. Robin, what's your your pick, your second pick? A film called Inside, French film, 2007. And it's kind of that sort of horror wave the French had with uh, Martyrs, which, and also High Tension. Yeah, so it's a a home invasion film, but like like no other really. 
Valeu. One of the things you don't want to see on screen, I suppose, is is, is uh, a pregnant woman. She's like almost ready to drop, uh, being sort of brutalised, tormented. Oh. It's not a torture film, but she's the, there's a it's another woman as well. It's not a man, by the way. I was trying to trying to kill her. You find out why she's trying to do it. It's kind of a revenge thing. I'm not really spoiling anything, but this woman's mm. trying to get in. She, she she knocks on the door first, and she's like, "Oh, can I come in and you know use your telephone or whatever?" I can't remember exactly, but and this. The, the pregnant lady is a bit suspicious and it just gets weirder and weirder like she's outside she takes a picture tries to get uh, the police involved gets in and this woman's like pregnant you know and there's this scissors this blood oh. the, uh, crawling up the stairs locking in bathrooms mm. two police officers arrive and more blood but this woman's like this this woman who's trying to attack her is relentless almost like she's not a human being she is uh, she's she doesn't have a name so there's that as well it's it's so spooky the fact it's a woman as well usually it's a man so that mm. turns that on its head. I won't tell you what happens at the end, but it goes, like, as far as it can. It's brutal, but not f always physical. There's blood in it, but it's, like, the the suspense, the horror. This woman just keeps coming back, coming back. What keeps coming up is that line between when do we start enjoying these films and when do we, you know, admire it for art, how compelling they are. You know, you want someone to survive, so you've, you've, you're invested. I think as well those films do draw on our um, basic human instinct to survive. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, it could it could go over into you know a lot of films you watch they're going across the line and going to ludicrous and you just mm. think I'm going to watch this is just funny now. Yeah, and and the home invasion movie sort of been quite popular ever since Halloween. It's usually a women, woman alone and fighting back against some sort of um, mass masculine threat it's very sort of a, a very powerful metaphor of what, what women go through throughout the world and I find it I find that quite interesting that it's another woman doing that in the film that you're discussing Robin so I, I'm quite interested in, in seeking that out well I will move on to my next film uh, it's Triumph of the Will yeah it is a very much a very big propaganda piece on, on the Nazi party and uh, Adolf Hitler and, and it's sort of it, it, set in, it chronicles the Nazi party congress in Nuremberg in 1934 which was attended by 700,000 Nazi supporters which mm. is crazy the, the stuff it does technically is, is amazing you know with the aerial photography yeah. the use of long lens photography the the use, the music in it, it really sort of stirs up emotion you know with scenes with the hitler youth and the fact that if it wasn't 
you, if you didn't know it was about the Hitler Youth, you would think it was about like the Scouts or something, you know. <laughs> or, or they all seem these happy boys. They're all sort of jo- joining in together, going off for camping trips and doing activities together. That there's this, a scene where they're, I think, they're wrestling and everybody's laughing and it looks like a very happy scene. And then you realise actually, oh, these are the these are the Hitler Youth. You know, these are probably boys in a few years that will be sent to the front lines and will be asked to go and do these horrendous uh, acts on other human beings. Adolf Hitler, der Führer der deutschen Jugend, hat das It's really hard to watch. It starts off as Hitler in in, in the uh, aeroplane coming down from, you know, descending from the skies. Like, he, he's the second coming of Jesus or something. It's insane. Uh-huh. It's so effective in, in terms of how film can be used as propaganda to, to deliver this message, uh, this political message. It's revolutionary in terms of it, it being a female director as well. I mean, this this movie, it's interesting, like, George Lucas cited the movie as inspiration for Stormtroopers. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. creepy. You know, she, Liney Riefenstahl shot, I think, what you see on screen is 3% of the footage she shot. Um, yes, yes. I think uh, all, so. 60 hours worth of footage, I think, she shot altogether, and it's a two-hour film. Yeah, and there are moments in the film where it is so terrifying to, to see this sort of submissive nature of, of conforming to to you know the people just little close-ups of, of women's faces as hitler goes around shaking hands and looking at him like he's some sort of pop star you know mm-hmm. it's yeah. really disturbing mm-hmm. and the, the the to have that captured on on film is very interesting because we don't really realize about it when in terms of reading it in, in books just how the public of Germany was so caught up in this Hitler fever. Triumph of the Will and, and um, Birth of the Nation are, are two examples of films that should never be watched as pure in- entertainment or enjoyment, but they do have a, 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 a place in terms of being studied for educational purposes. Well, Bianca, I just want to take the opportunity real quick to to point out that I think it's important to watch things like Triumph of the Will just so that in our own viewing habits, we can sort of teach ourselves what is propaganda and mm. what isn't, yeah. you know, because um, I not not too long ago got into a uh, conversation about ideology in, 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 in movies, you know, and so that's it's important to uh, to watch movies like that just so that we can kind of train ourselves not to sort of like be duped mm. yeah that's a it's a very good point um i'll just do a part of next film isn't by a film director who understands hitler that's all i'm hoping <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, jonathan bianca's favorite filmmaker lars von trier i understand hitler he's not what we, you would call a good guy but i um sympathize with him a little bit. This film is Nymphomaniac, and for anyone who hasn't seen it, the title is what you, what it sounds like. It's yeah. a film about hardcore sex. 
Nymphomania is actually the final film of Lars von Trier's Depression Trilogy, which he started with uh, Melancholia, and then with Antichrist. Von Trier, actually on the script, saying, we are shooting, we are doing everything for real. We are acting, <sighs> if you sign up for this movie, yes, you're going to be having, you're going to be having hardcore sex. Didn't that, he use porn actors, though? Like, for yes, the, the yes, second? That, yeah, okay. that, that, yeah, that was just, to be, that was just him being to provoke and trying to get... So that yeah, they shot the actors pretending to have sex, and then inserted shot porn actors actually oh. doing the deed, and then they uh, digitally imposed both frames at the same time. The whole thing is about five and a half hours long narrative about this woman named Joe. Well, the story takes place with her lying on the on the cold floor, beaten up and bl- bruised and bloodied. A uh, good Samaritan played by uh, Salem Skarsgård, finds her, takes him back to his apartment, and there Joe tells him her life story, all the way, tells her her life story, and why she is a terrible person, and uh, all of her uh, sexual exploits. The thing about this movie is, uh, there are two parts, volume one and volume two. It deals with subject matter that is very taboo, or it's very outside the mainstream of stuff that we might be a little sensitive to talk about or we're we're not we're afraid to discuss kind of openly and freely uh and the thing i liked about uh, nymphomaniac at least uh, or at least volume one is that it does bring up sexual politics as well as why does this character joe see herself as a terrible person for having a for having a high appetite for sex and pleasure uh, I feel like you know besides being kind of like a bad boy auteur um, yeah. I think that Lars was actually bringing up honest to god really interesting insights and was at least trying to, was trying to you know, talk about sex in a, in a very open way that is that felt very refreshing meant to be you know arousing or erotic the sex itself is kind of cold and kind of distant rather than you getting hot and bothered and I think that was done intentionally because of how the character perceives herself and how yeah. Lars talks about how women who have the, who, who are very sexually experienced or just who enjoy sex are, are put in that stigma. Yeah, I mean it's a very interesting film in terms of how it, it depicts women's sexuality. Uh, I just have issues with it in, in terms of how far it goes. I yeah, I, I'd agree. I would, I'd agree with that because it's just, it's just like it just feels, it just feels like overkill. Oh, good old Lars, bless him. Um, anyway, <laughs> Rob, what about you? What's your last pick for uncensored? Ha ha ha! There. At last we meet. Our brief read through the letter O was not, shall we say, satisfactory. Yes? Who are you? How the hell did you get in here? What the bloody hell do you think you're doing? Naughty, 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 you filthy old sunker. Now listen here, you little bastard. Just turn round and walk out of here the same way as you came in. Leave that alone! Don't touch it! It's a very important work of art! Um, a Stanley Kubrick movie, it's called uh, A Clockwork Orange. 
came out in 1971, and I think, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it's controversial uh, just on its merits anywhere. It's really, it was released, but in uh, in England especially, uh, it wasn't it wasn't shown, or it was mm. basically, I mean. <sighs> I I didn't really understand it until I read more into it or I I watched actually more YouTube videos about it. But Stanley Kubrick's family was actually either targeted or I mean Scotland Yard contacted him and was like you you need you need to like take precautions basically. And it was I, I mean to me it was just insane to have that sort of re, you know reality be present. Uh, A Clockwork Orange sort of is this dystopian uh, science fiction film based off the Anthony Burgess novel, which I, I have, um, and I just really struggled to get through. I love the movie a lot more, <laughs> but it's a it's a really I feel like the movie states a lot of really profound things about civilization and society and art. And there's there's this quote that really the the, the movie kind of res, like revolves around. You know, Malcolm McDowell is this gang leader who gets betrayed by his friends, and he's he gets sent to prison to basically be reformed. And he develops this relationship with the prison chaplain. Who this quote, like the movie revolves around it, it's that goodness is something to be chosen, and when a man cannot choose, he ceases to be a man. And that that always resonated with me because you have all these things going on in the movie where they're trying to reform society and stop violence you know basically so that the politicians can feel good about themselves and so that the people can feel safe even mm. if they're not safe and it's i don't know it's it's this very detailed and very it's a hard thing to sum up just on this podcast like why you know what it is and why it why it's so meaningful but um i really think it it puts in like a magnifying glass on civilization and what it ultimately does to the individual and you know kind of devolving into this really screwed up you know future world where it doesn't you know doesn't really matter you know like holding people accountable isn't the most important thing it's you know the everybody's perception of that world so it it's a movie that that i love and it took me three times just to get through it because it was just so different and so um, there's just a lot to take in. Mm. Yeah, I, it's an interesting film. I think um, I read that there were apparently reported copycat crimes yes. done, yeah. uh, and that was partly the reason why Stanley Kubrick took it out of circulation, which is insane because uh, I don't know whether it, there is any sort of proof that that was the case. Uh, I know that newspapers, certain newspapers in the UK reported on it, very sort of led the way against the video nasty ban in the 80s. But it seems absurd to me that uh, a film that talks, it's very against violence, it's very anti-violence, you know, uh, is then sort of, censored for being too violent and pulled out for encouraging violence when actually what it's trying to do is to pick the opposite it's a satire actually you know and Mm. i think i forget this that satire can both be fun and usually is it's very funny but it or it can be but it's also critical it's almost like you know it's it's commenting on itself while you know what i'm saying like it's it's lampooning something but it's also but it's also commenting on it at the same time 
I think a lot of the response as well was not based on the the last act. Was more based on, you know, the the two big scenes of violence, which is the the rape scene and the and the, uh... and, the, and, the and the 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 tramp getting beaten. You know, and I find it very interesting how it it, it depicts reforming. You know, those who commit crime and back yep. into society it has a lot to say about how we treat almost like an underclass of of civilization stripping them of humanity and even a different at, person at the end you know. yeah it is a, and that ending i mean I, I quite i've read the book and i quite like the ending from the book because he almost submits and and he gives in i think the film does it better because he's still who he is he hasn't learned anything it is kind of sad because you know we were always like to try and think that Everyone can be a, a good individual, but that, that's not always the case. Well, I mean, I hate to say it because, like, my reading is very cynical. Because, I mean, I look at the fact it came out in 1971. So, of course, Vietnam's going on. And, you know, whether, you know, I think that Stanley Kubrick just stands out regardless of the time and the place. I look at that and it's almost like you, you have corrupt government and that breeds sort of corrupt individuals. And, like, I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like the movie really does state that the the evils of the evils of the collective or the evils of the government outweigh the evils of the individual. I mean, I know it's not it's not saying Alex is a is a good person necessarily. It's just showing him as a human being. Okay, um, Robin, moving on. My next film is well, the final film, Irreversible, uh, French film. Gaspard Noé, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. I don't really know how how, how to explain how I felt when I watched it. I was kind of I was kind of stunned. And I kind of almost hated him as a filmmaker as I was watching it. And I was like, why Why am I still watching it? It's a film I wanted to stop watching. But by the end, I couldn't help but admire him. Um, not for his subject matter, but for the way he makes films, the way he shoots, the way he edits. You know, there's a, a ten-minute scene um, in one take, which is horrific. There's a scene at the beginning um, with, a, with a fire extinguisher, which is horrific. But the film itself actually is in reverse. So the end title's at the beginning, and then the last scene is the first scene, and then it goes back, leads up to that previous scene. So it's all like, you imagine you've got all the scenes, and just start from the, the last and work backwards. And the, the way it's shot as well is almost like, you know, being on a roller coaster. I don't know if you've seen Enter the Void, another one of his films he did. Mm, no. yeah. a bit later I'm which aware is of it. like a kaleidoscope yeah. cinematography really impressive so it's so from the beginning you're like dizzy and then the music there's a composer he's called Thomas Bangalter the score is like a, you know like um, almost like Chemical Brothers kind of score with a beat and it's thro- mm. throughout so you're constantly from the beginning you're provoked The sort of inevitable violence and what what comes what what basically happens is it goes back so you've got Vincent Cassell is carried out of a club he's injured and you find out what happens to him and then you find out why he was in that club you find out his girlfriend was 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 assaulted goes back you see that you go back to them and this is all like in reverse then you go back to them happy together preparing for this party and so with everything that happens you know what's coming and the further it gets along, you kind of 
it just so much into your head. So after the the horrific scene, which is sort of halfway through, you're going back and you're seeing hair get happier and happier. But you're going back and you still know what's coming, what's coming, what's coming. So it just kind of plays in your head. Um, so it's a film I kind of hated and loved at the same time, but not, but for the right reasons, you know, technically, artistically, visually. But the subject is done. It's like no, there's no filter. The way it's shot, everything about it, the camera's moving all the time, but in a really surreal way, like almost like you've had a lot to drink, and you, whoa, you know, you're trying to. But it's. Um, I don't want to say it's a great film, but I, I rate it very high. I believe it's one that you've put on my list of around the world in 80 films. So. Yeah, <laughs> good. Uh, thanks for that. I'm going to have a great time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it's an experience. And I think, well, as I was watching it, because my wife can see it, she said, you've got to see this. And mm. I was like, oh, this, I'm, I'm going to turn this off. This is awful. But it's, it doesn't redeem itself, but it puts you into such a in your psyche it messes with you so much that you almost start to admire the process of it but he's I can see why obviously why people want to stay away from these films yeah yeah they're not easy films to watch no no, um, no certainly not <laughs> so my last pick uh, is actually the 1932 film Freaks we'll make a one of us a loving cup a loving cup we accept a one of us but directed by Todd Browning, who was the director of the original uh, Dracula movie. It's a pre-code horror film. Now, the original version is clocked in at 90 minutes, but uh, that original version has been lost now. And the version that I watch is actually 60 minutes long. And a lot of the material was cut from from that. So the, the, don't get me wrong, the, the film version that I watched was still shocking. But uh, I kind of feel like we're, we've missed out on, on certain scenes that uh, would have been beneficial in a way. The film is about a circus um, following a, a freak show's uh, circus where uh, a young dwarf uh, called Harry is um, adopt, uh, duped even into a, a marriage, a, a sham marriage with this a beautiful uh, woman called Cleopatra uh, who is, it's quite funny I, I like how they, they refer to them as big people She's a big person and he's a little person. Uh, she's using him in order to get money. It, it's quite controversial because it actually has a lot of people who have disabilities featured in the film. Uh, and there are uh, individuals such as Ch- Johnny Eck, um, who was dubbed the half-boy. He doesn't have any legs and he moves by using his arms. You have just conjoined twins, Daisy and Violet Hilton, who feature in the film, uh, who have their own sort of subplot as well. Um, you've got the bearded lady. You've got the the half-boy, half-girl woman, man, individual, which is just absurd now. And, and lots of other people who are dubbed as freaks. And the film (laughs) was MGM's attempt to be uh, a horror film. 
and to to rival the Universal Pictures, which were, you know, uh, having Frankenstein coming out, Dracula, the Wolfman, but they weren't. You know, Browning was uh, allowed to come back and do whatever he wanted. So he made freaks, and I don't think they were sort of uh, anticipating this type of movie. It, it was actually banned in the UK for 30 years, which is a crazy... It's not... I don't really consider it quite controversial. Um, there are moments where, actually, I find it quite heartwarming uh there's a scene where the bearded lady gives birth to a baby and everybody comes to greet her and all asking about how well she is and uh there's jokes made about uh, i think oh she's the baby's got a beard she takes after her mother type of thing but it's all done with a sense of warmth to it the film i guess was controversial because it used actual individuals from these freak shows but I don't think it does it in a way that mocks them. There's a famous picture of the director hugging, you know, surrounded by all the the, the cast and hugging this individual who uh, had a mental disability and was referred to as a pinhead. But he's hugging them and it's actually quite a loving photo. It, it seems... And the, the message across... Uh, is that these people may look different to us, but we should treat them the same. Yeah. 